Luke chapter 9, beginning in verse 57. That's a long chapter. You got to flip again. Gotcha. The end of the chapter there. (laughs) 57 says this. Now it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have their nests. But the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Then he said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. But Jesus said to him, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. So we see here in the beginning, we're told of these uh, prospective disciples showing up, it says in 57, as they journeyed on the road. Just a very bland, normal, general description that Luke gives us here. Could be any day, any type of experience. I think he's doing that on purpose. What we're going to see is in Matthew 8, 18 through 22, if you just want to make a note, Matthew mentions the first two of these men coming to Jesus, and Luke, in his account, as a third. Matthew seems to be a little more chronological. So what Luke is doing is, instead of focusing on the chronology of when this happened, he's bringing these three individuals before us, describing what was most likely a very common experience. I don't think there was only one day in Jesus' life where three people came to him in rapid succession and said, we want to follow you. So this was probably something that happened fairly often, I would guess, in Jesus' experience. And Luke takes these three pictures and puts them together, excuse me, to give us kind of a compilation of something that would regularly happen. The Holy Spirit wants to say, okay, look at these three men in this scenario and learn from it. Jesus's interaction in people trying to join him in daily life is different with each individual because he knows what they need and he knows what is in them. John 2 tells us Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men and had no need that anyone should testify of man for he knew what was in Man, Jesus knows everything about everyone who's coming to him. And even though all three of these men, something attracts them to Jesus. There's something about Jesus that pulls them to him. Jesus knows there's also still something lacking there. A misunderstanding, a misconception of who he is and what he's actually doing. And Jesus is going to speak to each of them differently because... He knows what they need because he loves them. And you and I, I think the point is, are supposed to look at how Jesus deals with these three individuals and learn of the way he would deal with any disciple that wants to walk with him and follow him. So we'll look at them one by one here. Again, let's look at the first, verse 57. Now it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, Lord... I will follow you wherever you go. 
And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. This first interaction we see, the man comes to Jesus. Matthew tells us in a little more detail that the man was a scribe. Now, being a scribe in that day and age made a difference. This guy we know as a scribe is serious in his religious affiliation. He is serious in his religious pursuits, even for a Jew. If you were a scribe, that was meaningful. It said something about your dedication to the Lord and who you were. It also told us that this man was very genuine and serious in the sense that the religious leaders of the day you could not connect yourself to Jesus without some kickback. It was a problem. The religious institute, the Pharisees and Sadducees and Sanhedrin, they did not like Jesus. And if you openly affiliated yourself with Jesus, you knew it was going to cost you reputation, possibly career. That was why Nicodemus wanted to connect with Jesus at night He didn't want anybody to know what his connection to Jesus was. He had to hide that. So for this man as a scribe to come openly in front of people to Jesus tells us this guy's genuine. There's something there in his heart that is real. And not only that, he shares his heart. Look at what he says. To say, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go, is a pretty huge statement. He, he basically admits, I, I believe I'm standing before someone I can follow anywhere. Even today, if, if we were honestly standing before the Lord and he knew our heart, could we honestly say, Lord, I will follow you anywhere you go? Uh, no doubt, as a scribe, I'm sure he had the words, of Ruth in mind, Ruth would say to Naomi, Entreat me not to leave you or turn back from following after you. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. Your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. The Lord do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts you and me. So there's something remarkable here, something noble even if the man could be a bit impulsive to some degree, which it seems like he's just coming and pouring out his heart. Uh, Being impulsive is not all wrong. We do know there was a man following Jesus named Peter, and that man was a bit impulsive, but it was a strength at times for Peter, even though it was a weakness at other times. And many of us have friends, no pointing right now, who are a bit impulsive or people we love very much, that that's their tendency. It's not all bad. But the problem here is, even though there are plenty of wonderful things, there is still something wrong. If, In the typical sense, if this guy came and wanted to be a disciple, he's exactly the type of person you would sign up. Oh, you got the credentials, you got the degree, you have the background, you have the learning. Obviously, you're willing to take a hit for Jesus. You're willing to humble yourself. Your, your heart is in it, it seems like. All this, on the outward, it would seem like, man, this is exactly the type of guy that we would want to join our fellowship or Jesus would want to call. 
But Jesus knows, as I said, there is still a misconception here for this man. Now, we don't know. Maybe it was uh, as a scribe. He would have put together working for God and wealth, God's blessing and God's bounty. The Jews believed if you are honoring God, God will bless you materially because of some of the Old Testament promises given to them. And the disciples believe that as well in many different ways. So that could be what's in his background. We're not sure. But we know that the true sower, Jesus here, recognizes this seed, even though it's taking root, is in shallow soil. And those roots will die if he just presses on and follows him. So he needs to speak to him and tell him what the issue is. So, again in 58, Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes. I'm going to pause there for a second. It's easy just to read through these things and forget. Think of this for a minute. This guy's a scribe. He's probably been thinking about this for a long time. His heart has been building up. He decides he's finally going to take the step. He comes to Jesus, says to Jesus, Lord, I'll follow you anywhere you go. And he's waiting for Jesus' response. And the first thing he hears Jesus say is, foxes have holes. Do you think he expected that? I don't know, right? This is, I'm sure at at that moment he's like, are we having different conversations? Wait, did I say the wrong, did did that come out right? You know, when you're emotional sometimes, did did I say something I didn't think I said? He's, I'm sure this guy's thrown off immediately. Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Now, it is easy in these words to read that and begin to pity Jesus. Don't make that mistake. Jesus wasn't looking for sympathy here. He was stating a fact. This man, no doubt, had a nice home and place where he lived. Jesus is going to make it clear that he doesn't have a stable home. He doesn't have a constant place of comfort and rest. That in his pursuit of the Father's will... There isn't some retreat for him to constantly go back to and have the amenities that other people would have. I agree with G. Campbell Morgan when he says this. Jesus was revealing the fact that he was detached from everything that would prevent progress. And so showing to him that traveling with him meant the taking up of a similar attitude. Jesus wasn't going to allow anything materially in this life hold him back from his pursuit of his Father's will. He wasn't going to be bound to any of those things. And he was saying, that's part of what it is to follow me. Jesus was born in another man's stable. We know that he used Peter's house. He had to use other people's fishing boats. He was supported by money from women that followed him. He accepted the hospitality of tax collectors. We know that he rode in Jerusalem on his prophesied day on a borrowed donkey. The meal that he longed to have with his disciples he had in a borrowed room. And his probably most intimate prayer, a prayer that Hebrews tells us with great crying and tears, was prayed in a public garden. He carried another person's cross, 
and he was buried in a grave that wasn't his own. Jesus was detached from the earthly passing things here because he was attached to the eternal and lasting things that his father was directing him in. Let this mind be in you, which was also first in Christ Jesus. That's what Jesus is saying here to this man. He knew his early followers would be forced to live this type of life, just as many believers around the world are today. But I do think it's, it's somewhat hard for us to imagine what it was like for these early Jews, because they were all Jews who were the first followers of Jesus, to have grown up worshiping in the temple with all its pomp, all its circumstance, to walk into this huge building, huge stone, gold all over the place, the, the curtains with the red and the purple and the blue, the burning that would constantly be going up from the sacrifices, the priests all in their white garb, the blood staining across it, the singing happening, the trumpets blowing. You, you were a part of this huge kind of awesome thing when you went to worship, this incredible experience that no doubt made you feel like you were a part of something important. And in a few short years, these people are going to be hiding in caves, worshiping God in spirit and truth. This is a big difference. Scattered around the world like strangers and pilgrims. And it was important that they see Jesus unattached to these things. He knew that. He was living it in front of them. Paul would say to Timothy, You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. The point is, again, we're not supposed to pity Jesus for having no stable home here. We're not supposed to pity Jesus for being detached from material bonds. We are supposed to pity this man or ourselves who are held back from following Jesus because we're attached to other things. And I do think in a lot of ways... Um, you know, there's always a challenge for disciples of Christ when we're not, let's say, involved in the things that we know are obvious sin, alcohol, drug abuse, not murdering anybody, things that seem really bad, but we can still get caught up in, like, sins in good standing, right? Our life can be about our new HGTV house type of thing or all about our Instagram vacation life experiences. Our life can be all about Jesus at first, and then Jesus provides us in his blessings some levels of comfort, and we begin to love the comfort more than the Jesus who provided those things. Even our American way of life, and we lose our Christian life and testimony because we're battling for this other thing. That's secondary. Jesus was not going to be held back by anything here and the comfort of what material things provided him. He was going to do his father's will. What he was saying was, if you're going to follow me, you have to have that type of attitude. This man was genuine. 
but he had a misunderstanding. The two can't always go together. Now, the next man says, 59, Then he said to another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. With this second man, we have a new scenario here. Matthew tells us that this man was already a disciple. He was part of the larger group of people that followed Jesus. If you don't know this, there was the 12 that Jesus chose, but he chose them out of a larger group. We know there was at least a group of 70 beyond that. And then there was an even wider group of people that followed Jesus. And it seems like they followed him on various levels, some more than others. But they were all considered disciples of Christ. This man, it seems, is a part of that wider group of disciples that follows Jesus. He does not come to Jesus. Jesus comes to him. And Jesus says to him, follow me. Now, this is unique because Jesus is calling him to something more. A greater dedication, a greater devotion, a greater commitment to following him. A greater nearness, a greater communion, more time with him. And I think it's important, I would guess, obviously in a room this large, or people listening out there, there are a number of people that Jesus is saying that to. You're already his disciple, but you know he's saying to you, no, I want you to follow me in a new way, a different way, a closer way. I'm calling you to a little something more here. I want it to look differently in your life now. And it is a privilege to have the Lord call us in any way closer to himself. Look at this man's response, though. Something pops in his head when Jesus says that to him. He says, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. It's not that he doesn't want that. I have something else First, there's, there's something that popped in my head first, and that is that I have to bury my father. Now, most people agree that his father had not just died. It wasn't like he needed to get to the funeral. Uh, likely, his father is older, and what he's saying is, allow me to take care of him in his time of need, and then I will come and follow you. And again, it's, it's a noble sentiment. Certainly, God tells us very directly we need to honor our father and our mother, Jesus spoke to the Pharisees about Corbin and how they used that to make the word of God of none effect. But our first duty is not to our family and our relatives. And it can never be an excuse for our duty to Christ to not be fulfilled. Our duty to our family and our relatives and everyone else in our life comes from Christ. He's the one who tells us how we're supposed to be. And how we're supposed to love, and how we're supposed to honor. So the two cannot be in conflict. God made it very clear that he was always to be first. In the Old Testament, to the Nazarites, he would say this in number six, all the days that he separates himself to the Lord, he shall not go near a dead body. He shall not make himself unclean, even for his father or his mother. For his brother or his sister when they die, because his separation to God is on his head, 
all the days of his separation he shall hold to the Lord. He would say Jesus himself in the New Testament, in Matthew chapter 10, Do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace on earth, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be those of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. It's an incredible statement for a stranger to say. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake will find it. God makes it very clear where his priority is. First, always. And Jesus says to this man to let the dead bury their dead, let the earthly things be taken care of by those who don't understand the kingdom. They can organize the funeral, but they can't preach the gospel. They can't value the kingdom of God as this man could, and he's inviting this man to work with him in saving souls from eternal death. And it is a privilege when the two of those things, the honor of loved ones and family, can go together with that call, but they can't always. There's a guy named Frank Drown who was a missionary I think of in this scenario. He actually came and shared here, and he shared at a pastor's conference. And he was a pilot as well. He served in Ecuador, but he was the man who flew in to search for Jim Elliott and his friends when they were murdered, martyred and found the bodies. But he was himself at college and leaving and going to his missions work. And he was leaving, and he told a story about leaving his father. And he said he could just remember. Those days when when you left, you knew you were going to be gone for a couple years before you saw people again. You weren't flying home right away. And he said he was leaving, and he could remember his father, just tears running down his face as he was leaving him. And he said... He didn't tell me he had a terminal illness. And he knew that was the last time he was probably going to see me. Because he didn't want to keep me from what the Lord had for me. They realized the priority of God together. They helped one another in it. And it is a privilege when that can happen. But the reality is, it can't always happen. And God is inviting this man to join him. Jesus Christ inviting him to join him. And even though we aren't all going to be called to the same thing uh, on the same level, you might not be called to be a missionary, leave your house and go somewhere. We are all called to this on some level. He always has to have the priority. And we see this happening all over, all around. Now in the, the pandemic, we know there's issues where if you go to church, you can't hang out with us. We have grandparents who are told uh, our grandkid isn't a boy anymore, they're a girl, and if you don't call them by this name, you can't see them anymore. All types of family issues where sin comes in and a choice has to be made on one level or another. We don't, we're not used to this much in America, but the decision to 
follow Christ or to remain connected with relationships comes to everybody on one level or another. And the truth is, all around the world, there are believers who know, if I give my life to Jesus, I lose everything with my family. In different Hindu or Muslim backgrounds, if I give my life to Jesus, I will lose my family. And these early Jews knew, many of them, if I begin to follow this guy Jesus, it's going to be the end of a lot of the relationships in my life. And what Jesus says is, he needs to be first. And sadly, this is happening not only here, it's in the, the family of God. Churches literally all around the world right now are splitting over the homosexual, transgender issues. PCA split from the PCUSA. The Methodist Church is splitting over it. The Anglican Church just almost split over it. The Mennonite Church has split over it. All over the world, Christians are being forced to make decisions to follow Christ and his word that will cause them to have to split from dear relationships. Not because they want to, but to remain faithful to the Lord. And when Jesus says this, he again is not telling them to do something he doesn't know. We're told in Matthew 12, while he was still talking to the multitudes, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside seeking to speak with him. And one said to him, Look, your mother and your brothers are standing outside seeking to speak with you. But he answered and said to the one who told him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And he stretched out his hand toward his disciples and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Unfortunately, Jesus' family was not very happy about what he was doing to do his father's will. He didn't, he didn't have the family backing. They thought he was crazy. They were trying to get him to stop doing the things he was doing. But he said, pretty incredible, right? I am not going to go out and do what my mother and my brothers want right now. He wasn't cruel to them. He would never harm them. But if you force me into a decision to be loyal to my father and his business, or you and your business, he stretched out his hand to his disciples and said, here are my brothers and sisters and mother. I wonder, would he stretch out his hand and put us in that category? I hope so. Claim them. What a blessing for his disciples. Although I believe it was difficult for him. Fortunately, his family would come around, which was a good thing. But Jesus makes it clear to this disciple, he is going to have to allow him to be the priority relationship in his life. The next man, 61. And another also said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. Jesus said to him, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. We don't know much about this third man. We know that he came to Jesus with an intent to follow, save in a bit. Jesus, I want to follow you in a little. There was a delay there. I want to go back with my family 
say goodbye to my friends. He, he didn't want to just wave through the window or FaceTime them. That's not what he was talking about. There was, a, there was a typical thing where you would go and hang and eat and spend some days in one person's house and go to the next person's house. And that is most likely what he had in mind. Who knows if there was more or less there. But the idea is, let me go make some memories. Let me go get some good times in. Then I will come and follow you. In that scenario, obviously, I think we all understand what it is to uh, have a good intention but want to put it off for a little bit. We're very good at making excuses to delay for one reason or another, particularly in spiritual things. It's easy to say, like, all right, well, you know, I'm young now, but when I get older, after I graduate college or get a career, then I'll start to follow the Lord, or I'm old. That's already passed. I feel like God doesn't have that kind of call for me now. He has something else for me. Or I'm inexperienced. Let me get a little experience in, and then maybe I don't know enough. You know, I don't have any opportunities. We got a lot of different ideas. Once I hit this level in my business, then maybe I'll do it. Once I pay this house off or get this, then I'll follow. We have all these things like, okay, it's uh, yeah, I'm going to follow him, but just over here when this happens down the line. It's easy to make excuses. This man receives the most severe warning. Jesus knows that his word to this disciple has to cut right to the heart of the issue. Again, Jesus is not doing these things because he doesn't care about these individuals. He loves all three of these men. And he knows he needs to speak the truth to their hearts so that they know what it is to follow him. He has to show us what's going on so we can respond correctly. And the problem here is a divided heart. A look back means a divided heart. Remember Lot's wife, the New Testament tells us. Remember Lot's wife. There is a divided heart. Whatever direction the body might be going, our physical bodies can be sitting in God's house right now with a divided heart underneath. Lot's wife's body was leaving Sodom and Gomorrah. Her heart was still there. A divided heart will not be able to remain focused on Christ. It won't draw a long, straight furrow. It will be focused somewhere else, and if I look back, I can't continue forward in that direction. And a look back means that I don't actually see the king and his kingdom very clearly. Because if I saw the king and his kingdom clearly, I wouldn't be looking back. When Jesus was transfigured before his disciples, Peter wasn't trying to get down the mountain. He was trying to stay on the mountain. Let's build a couple tents and stay here because it's good for us to be here. And he had to get reproved. But the sentiment was good. Right? One day, as we're going through Revelation, when we're all in the new heavens and new earth, then we can look at Peter and be like, say it now, Peter. This is, this is the time. It's good for us to be here. Yeah, let's build houses and stay. That's the time. But the reality was, he saw the glory of Christ. And he was like, this is, this is where we're supposed to be. And if we're looking back at something else, it means we don't actually see him clearly. We need our view changed. We need our heart changed. 
because it is possible to love him some, but still love the world more for a bit. Not constantly, for a little. To, to have some care about the Lord, to love certain things about the Lord, but to also love something else. But there will come a point of conflict where a choice has to be made between the two. That's why Jesus says, no man can serve two masters. You, you, can, you could kind of love the Lord. You know, we've seen plenty of people. I've done youth ministry for years. I've seen plenty of kids grow up and like certain things about Christianity, certain things about the church, safe, I like this song, I appreciate this thing. But they also love something else. And eventually the conflict comes, right? Which one am I going to choose when they come to a head? When I have to make a choice that will cause me to lose the one for the other? Because that always happens. There's a man named Demas that served with Paul for a while. He had some real spiritual desire. But Paul said, Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world didn't say he had no interest in God. It's just he loved something else more. And a look back means a divided heart. It tells us there's something wrong there. And we need to be aware of where our heart is. God is good to point it out to us. But once it's pointed out, there's a choice to be made. There's a choice to be made. Second Chronicles chapter 12 tells us of Rehoboam, Solomon's son. And it says this about Rehoboam. He did evil because he did not prepare his heart to seek the Lord. That's why he did evil. Because he did not prepare his heart to seek the Lord. There needs to be an acknowledgement of our heart and where it's at. And Jesus points it out so that this man can make an honest choice now. So what we see here is clear. What does make us fit for the kingdom of God, fit followers of Christ? What does Luke, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, want us to know? That our progress in Christ shouldn't be hindered because of material things. That our ties to Christ have to be greater than any other ties in our life. Even with those we love most dearly. And that a divided heart doesn't work for a true disciple of Jesus. Matthew Henry would say, those who begin the work of God must resolve to go on with it or they will make nothing of it. And again, Jesus was on his way to the cross. He didn't just say, this is what I want you to do. This was what he was doing. This was how he was living. He wasn't saying this is the way things should be. He was saying, this is the way things are. If you're going to follow me, this is the way things are. And he was an example of everything that he was living. And what we don't have here at the end is, you will notice, any of the reactions. We just have the problem and the statement. That's it. We don't know what happened with any of these men. I hope that when we get to heaven, there will be more of the story and it will be blessed. If they followed Jesus, there's more to the story. If they heard his reproof and they said, you know what, you're right. 
I'm going to follow you now. I'm not going to delay. Then what we'll do is we'll get into heaven one day, and we're going to hear the rest of the story, and it's going to be great. What happened with this guy's life? What happened with these individuals? Where did the Lord take them? Where did their following Jesus work out to? But if they didn't follow Jesus, then there's nothing left of the story of worth. You notice that? If they didn't follow Jesus, then there's nothing left of worth to tell. They chose the alternative. It's not they didn't follow Jesus, but then they still kind of did, just in a different way. No, it was the following of Jesus or the alternative. The alternative was the scribe went home and sat in his nice house and enjoyed his comfort. The alternative was the man went home and kept his relationships and there was no fighting or no bickering and no hurtful words. Or this other individual went home and hung out with all his friends and had a good time. But they weren't followers of Jesus anymore. They parted from him at that moment. You and I, when he's good enough to point out to us where our hearts are misunderstanding something, we need to respond and follow him. Matthew ends his section with these words. Now when he got into a boat, his disciples followed him. Were these individuals part of the disciples then? Were they part of the crew, right? And the reason is, we're not just disciples at large. Be careful of that. And what I mean by that is, sometimes we could feel like a disciple because we just do the general things that God tells every Christian to do. Like, I go to church. I don't steal from people. I don't murder. I'm a good civil person. I got to be good, right? Which... That's the baseline. But you can't forget, you're a disciple specifically, which means God is saying things to you in your life about how he wants you to follow him. It's not what he wants everybody to do. It's what he wants you to do. And to follow him, you have to honor what he wants you to do. Notice all these men, the story was different. Every single wider follower of Jesus, the story is different. He's saying something to you today about your walk with him and the choices between you and him. Lord, am I going to honor that? Am I willing to hear that? When you get in the boat, am I still a part of your crew? Or have I chosen the alternative? Let's stand. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I put my own heart and the hearts of my brothers and sisters here before you. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us clearly through your Holy Spirit. I pray that you would keep us nearer to yourself. Let us follow hard after you. And please, Lord, allow your right hand to uphold us. Like Augustine said, Lord, command what you will, but give what you command. Be gracious, Lord to help us along the way, allow us to abide in you. We want to remain close to you, be the sheep, Lord, of your pasture, near to you as you lead us. You're the good shepherd we look to. 
So please, Lord, do lead us in paths of righteousness for your name's sake. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.